0: Yes, thank you. I will just get my... Sure. We Just while Hannah's getting everything together, we'd love to see in the chat where everybody's coming from. This is like my favorite part every month, we get to see where everybody's coming from. So give us a shout out in the chat and let us know uh, where you're from while Hannah gets herself organized and uh, and then we'll be able to uh, to get on with our, our hour of uh, lots of great information today. So
1: Perfect. Thanks. Yes. Yeah, so I hope everyone can see my screen there. Uh, So welcome, my name is Hannah Rothburn, and I am the Operations Manager here at the Capacity Building Institute. Uh, So thanks everyone for joining us for our monthly Capacity Series webinar. Uh, So what we do uh, here at the Capacity Building Institute is we provide training, coaching, and mentorship (laughs) support uh, for small shop environmental nonprofits all across Canada. Uh, We are also a part of the Sustainable Capacity Solutions, uh, which you'll hear more about uh, later in the evening. So for our organization, you know we with the challenges like climate change and nature loss and species decline and dominating our headlines, uh, we believe that the work of environmental nonprofit organizations are more important than ever. Uh, and we want to encourage like these nonprofit leaders, staff, and volunteer. you know we're consistently balancing the urgency and scale of all these different issues that we're facing with limited resources and training available. Uh, So what we want to do here is we aim to foster leadership within our environmental sector by providing training, coaching and mentorship at all stages for leadership. Uh, So we have executive directors, board members, volunteers, fundraisers, interns just coming into the sector and other staff that you might have. Um, And our mission and our goal is to train 10,000 leaders uh, of small shop nonprofit organizations over the next 10 years. Um, and you guys are a part of that by joining us uh, here tonight. So we believe that the Canada's environment deserves all the help it can get, you know, uh, from having well-run nonprofit organizations, from donors and well-trained staff and board members, you know, that we play in a vital role of the ongoing effort. Uh, to ensure a healthy and sustainable future for all Canadians, uh, and that training matters. Um, it's you know really important to keep your organization well staffed and organized, and just to have that strong foundation to build the organization on. And we also believe that small shop organizations—we make a big difference. Now we are the organizations that are on the ground. You guys are doing the work, uh, and you're making that difference. And so we want to support you in your missions and to be able to build and give that strong foundation to your organization. And that there's always so much to do. uh, The list is ongoing and we want to be able to commit and help each other and build together. So to tackle these tasks and to be able to help with climate change and successfully helping with your missions, we do offer a variety of different training programs. So we have our flagship program, which is the capacity building certificate program. So this one's aimed for executive directors and senior management of your organization, um, as well as we have our internship training program, which is almost like a light version uh, meant for uh, organizations that and interns that are just starting in the sector um, that maybe have just recently graduated and kind of want to get their foot in the door to see what the environmental sector is all about. We also have our Fundraising Intensive Workshops, so that's more of a one-on-one with an organization to really tackle uh, different fundraising tips and tricks and help and have a little community that we can support each other through fundraising. Then we have our webinar series that's tonight so they are monthly they are free and they're an hour long and we encourage you guys to all come um it's a great time where we tackle a range of different topics uh, and have a variety of panelists and guest speakers to help enrich the, the experience we also just recently also have the leadership training stream that we've launched and this is more for New uh, organizations or new uh, leaders that they may have taken the internship training program with us. They're just starting to get into that more of a leadership role uh, in the sector with their organization. And so that is like a a stepping stone uh, before taking the capacity building certificate program that they can take. Um, we range on the, all of our programs focus on the six core themes. So we have financial management, fund development, governance and board development, volunteer engagement, human resources, communications, risk management, and leadership and organizational culture. Um, and then we just have a quote here from Dominique uh, who from Youth Climate Lab that had taken the program uh, before, and she had mentioned about the financial management in that community, that uh, we definitely tend to create and we do want to focus on the networking, the building and being able to support each other. So it's more than just training, but it's also with those connections and having that support. We have a range of leaders and trainers. So we have our main lead trainers here. We have Sam, Rob, Barb and Alex, all with their own specialties. And we also bring in a variety of guest speakers to help enrich the programs as well. And for our team, so there's myself as the operations manager and we also have Rob, who's our current executive director. Um, and then we also, if you want to have any questions or if you have any suggestions like topics we can address at this session, or if you're interested in maybe taking any of the programs in 2023, uh, you can reach out to us info at CapacityBuilding.ca or fill out our contact form on our website. We also have a newsletter that goes out monthly that we encourage everyone to sign up for uh, so that you can keep updated on all of the latest news. And lastly, I'll just say to save the date, uh, for we have one more of our monthly series for this year. Uh, so it's happening Monday, December 5th at 4pm Eastern and we'll be tackling the topic of burnout. Uh, so we encourage you all to register if you haven't already if for that, which you can do on our website at capacitybuilding.ca. So with that, I will
0: pass it back over to Sam. Fantastic, as always. Thank you so much. I wanted to share with you um, just a very simple PowerPoint tonight, just mainly to keep me on track. Actually, uh, but we're happy to share it with you if it's helpful. I'm just going to share my screen now, and uh, and you can have an opportunity to uh, to follow along. As we mentioned, this is an opportunity for us to. Uh, really connect um, in terms of uh, fundraising, the next 60 days, how important um, this is going to be. So we look forward to uh, to all of that. Um, and we're obviously watching the chat. So don't hesitate um, to reach out and say anything uh, in the chat, any questions you might have. I find fundraising is very much... Um, you know, language-based in many ways. So I might referring something as an appeal and you might be calling it uh, something else. So there is a lot of language challenges sometimes in fundraising. So if I'm using a term that maybe you use a different term for, don't hesitate to, to put up your hand. I know our friends, um, uh, of course, uh, Hannah and uh, Owen, will be watching the chat really closely today as well. Uh, so we get a chance to, uh, to see where everybody is and we see that... Uh, Jim's here. We're saying hi to Jim. We'd like to say hi to everybody. So don't hesitate to, uh, to tell everybody where you're from in there. and We can get a chance to obviously answer uh, any questions that you might have uh, as well. So we've got the chat open now for you. So don't be shy. Tell us where you're coming from and um, we can have a chance to, to see where everybody is from across the, uh, the, lovely, uh, the lovely country we live in. Uh, So once again, I'm Sam LaPrade. I have been fundraising for about 33 years now. I have made... Um, But today is really about that next um, 60 days. You know, and I I tell people all the time, I've raised, you know, millions of dollars over 33 years. Um, But I think some of my biggest wins were at the end of this year. Some Uh of the things I'm most proud of we're at the end of the year where you know it's a really important time as we know in fundraising this may be for you uh, similar for you or it may not be a lot of organizations raise the majority of their money between Thanksgiving a Canadian Thanksgiving and December 31st so we do have a you know we're in the middle of that window now so we're gonna have an opportunity today to try and inspire you and see uh, if you can also uh, raise some, some good money. So our time together today, we're really going to focus on how to maximize this fundraising for the next 60 days, how to how to engage in stewardship. And for those that may be not familiar with that term or you might know it, may not know how it applies to you, we're going to talk a little bit about stewardship. We're going to invite your champions in to join you. I think a lot of times, whether you're an executive director doing fundraising you're a really small shop or maybe you've got a couple of other team members, Fundraising can feel pretty lonely sometimes, but the reality is fundraising is a team sport. So we want to figure out how to invite champions in, and those people to share your message because sometimes one of the most effective ways of sharing your message is having someone else tell your story for you so we're going to talk a little bit about that we're also going to how to use these days these you know i'm a little bit shorter than 60 now but how to use these important days leading up to december 31st to set you up for success in 2023 so i've got sort of a quick little thing you can do i'm encouraging you to grab a piece of paper Uh, or anything you can sort of um, write down on for that particular exercise. That'll be uh, helpful. And then also how to care for yourself through this, because I'm going to tell you this particular time of year can be really overwhelming. I'll put my hand up and say, I have gone through it where, you know, on Christmas Eve, I'm, you know, absolutely exhausted after a really, really busy time. And I'm not able to sort of really enjoy the holidays with my family. So we can become really overwhelmed in this sector. and. I want to make sure I can share some of that little tip for you as well on how to uh, take care of yourself because uh, we're not good to anybody, right? If we're not good to, uh, to ourselves. So the best time to start something is now. So a lot of you are thinking, oh my heaven, Sam, it's November 7th and, you know, we're not going to have time to do everything. I'm going to give you lots of ideas today. In no way do I think you're going to be able to do all these, not because I don't think you're superhuman, um, but it's just, it, it really would take an army in many ways to get all of this done. So I'd love you on that piece of paper we talked about to write one, two, three, to find three ideas today to walk away with and implement them. And really my mantra, and I don't know if it's just that I'm getting old, but my mantra really has become don't sacrifice uh, the good for the perfect. So, and what I mean by that is that, you know, do something uh, as opposed to trying to do something really well that does never, never gets done, right? So, just try something. So, whether that's you pick three things today and you get two of them done, great. If you pick, you know, three things you get one of them done, it's something different. That's fine. We're not expecting you to do all fifteen things, but certainly, uh, it's an idea a generator today for you. So, the best time to start something is now. So, let's start something. The very first thing, and I don't know if everybody has on board with what we refer to as is Giving Tuesday. So just a little bit of background for those that may not be familiar, Giving Tuesday is an, uh, um, an initiative that started I mean, about 12, 13, 14, 15 years ago, and it's basically really that Tuesday after the American Thanksgiving. So the have American Thanksgiving, they have Black Friday, that crazy weekend, of course, is always a very busy shopping weekend, Cyber Monday. Well, they decided, some very smart people many, many years ago, to come up with something called Giving Tuesday, which was meant to be the philanthropic part of the crazy busy season. It has raised billions, yes, with a B, billions of dollars globally. So if you're not familiar with it, it is fantastic. Now, a couple things Giving Tuesday. Uh, can be a bit overwhelming for donors because they might be receiving, if they're a donor to five charities, five charities are reaching out to them. So really we have to to sort of temper our expectations regarding Giving Tuesday. You can definitely raise some money. I'm gonna talk about all those different ways to do that. Um, But it also is a competitive day, if you will, in our sector, but it's also a great day because once again, sometimes this is when people get become engaged and you see people giving that have never given before so it is a really great day so you want to plan a bit of a campaign now here's the great thing and i know that our friends um hannah and owen will be able to look this up quickly and throw it in the chat but this is an opportunity for us to um go on the giving tuesday site um i went too fast uh go on the giving tuesday site and they've got lots of different resources there for you so go there and um Look at all the different logos. They've got some different ideas now. Personalize this for your own organization, though. They're giving you ideas, you know, for for all sorts of different kinds of groups. But um, use it as a resource. So don't just steal everything. I mean, that's what you're meant to do is to go there and steal stuff. But definitely add your own your own flavor, your own personality for your organization to that as well. So we're seeing lots of different people here. Uh, thank you so much for for joining. I'm taking a peek at the the um, Chat there. So the Giving Tuesday stuff, there's Owen right on the ball. So Owen's got that information there for you. So grab that website and take a look at it. What you can do for Giving Tuesday or for really any time is find a matching donor or a corporate partner. So one of the things I've done for one of my clients um, about three years ago, and it's been going for three years now, is I found them a matching partner for this time of year. So that corporate partner gives $20,000 and all donations then can be matched up to $20,000. So what it does is you're able to say to to donors for your $100, we'll get $200 because this corporate partner is joining. So finding a matching donor is a great idea. This can be an individual, it can be someone anonymous, although it's not great, because we really want to kind of inspire people by who the matching donor is or it can be a corporate partner and this is very popular now I use the figure twenty thousand dollars which might be oh my heavens that's a lot of money some people you'll see them have matching partners up to hundred thousand dollars you might even see some organizations on giving Tuesday have two or three matching partners so what they'll say is your hundred dollars becomes two hundred dollars becomes three hundred dollars becomes four hundred dollars so they could you know sort of have a lot of these matching partners if you've never done anything like this before, do not fret. You can find, if you even found, free, you know, your organization, if you are the first time you're doing this, go out and find somebody that might give you $2,000 as a matching partner. Don't feel like these ideas are just for these really big charities. If you're a big charity, go for it. And if you've got that kind of context, but if you weren't just starting off this year, find a corporate partner that's two, three, four, five thousand $5,000, even $1,000, right? Just find some sort of co- corporate partner. So that would be um, the second uh, idea today is to do Giving Tuesday. Uh, and we can do Giving Tuesday in so many different ways through social media. You can send emails. There's lots of ideas. You can lead up to Giving Tuesday and all that kind of good stuff. So, and you want to find that matching donor or corporate partner. You want to offer an opportunity for donors to invite in their network. So this is where... You really inspire people that feel really passionate. We know how passionate people are uh, about the environment, about climate change, but also, you know, it might be, um, uh, you know, a medical condition. It might be for pets, whatever it is, you want to offer that opportunity. So what you can do, and we, we see this a lot, is people will say, you know, you can give your gift and then send this to three friends. And so you're able to sort of allow them to send that appeal to three friends. And then they can invite people in that they think would be interested in the cause. So this is another example of trying to broaden your your base because it's really hard to acquire those new donors. So you want to broaden your base. If you have you know 100 donors right now, or 1,000 donors, or 10,000, whatever it is, you know that filling that donor funnel, if you will, making sure we always inspire new donors, is really key. Using this opportunity to invite people in. And getting your donors to do it, um, you know, they'll they'll say, oh, I, I want to, you know, have, you know, so and so indicated that they were interested in the environment. I'd like to invite them in to uh, to share about the organization. So offering that opportunity to your donors is great. Segmenting your donors. So whether you have a hundred donors, once again, or ten thousand, doesn't really matter. Segmenting those donors so that you've got donors that gave to you in the last six months. So those donors that maybe gave to you in the last six months or the last year, you would send a very different message to than you would your donors that are lapsing. We're gonna be talking about lapsing in a second. But donors that maybe, and people are always a bit nervous to ask too much because we do get people complaining in this sector, oh, I get asked too much, or you know, they just treat me like I'm an ATM or whatever. We don't want that feeling. But you can invite people that have made a gift Let's say from, I'm just trying to get to calculation in my head, from July forward. So, from January to July, you can invite those people to make a year-end donation. But please don't call it a year-end donation. You want to inspire them to give to something really personal within your organization. By calling it year-end fundraising or, you know, make sure you get your tax receipt, that doesn't sort of give those warm feelings of philanthropy that kind of feels like an oil change transaction right so we don't want that we want that warm story like kind of appeal for people so if you segment them and you ask them so people that are most likely to give to you you guessed it are people that have already given to you and some people are a bit nervous to ask them too much the biggest reason there's lots of different books on fundraising of course but the biggest reason we found in a lot of the literature and this is mostly fundraising literature behind me um is why people don't give is because they're not asked Which sounds kind of funny so we want to make sure um that we are asking so segment your donors is really key is really key reaching out to lapsed donors so i would say a lapsed donor is somebody that hasn't given to you um from December 31st of 2021 and backwards to the beginning of 2019. So 2019, 2020, and 2021, if they haven't given to you in 2022, but they gave to you in one of those three years, you can even go back to 18 if you want, but I would probably stick with those three years, reaching out to them, and you know what you're gonna say to them? You're gonna say, we miss you as a donor. Like, we miss you. And it's amazing how that kind of language. Um, I did a Miss You campaign. I tried to convince them for two years, maybe three years, to do a Miss You campaign, one of my clients. And they did one, and they were shocked. They phoned me, they were so excited. One of those donors gave them $5,000. So once again, you just never know. You know, we we look at our finances and our fundraising from, um, a perspective of um, our fiscal and how we look at the fundraising donors don't think that way so donors won't remember that they have been given they they may just you know kind of go on with their lives like all of us do right so reminding donors you miss them here's what's happened with the money that you gave and here is what we hope to do with with more funding here's where the need is and you want to inspire them So reach out to those lab donors. I would love this to be on the list of three things because this is probably one of the easiest things you're going to do that's going to generate uh, some revenue for you. Number six, you want to offer a monthly giving option. How many people have, um, oh, I should have told everybody, Giving Tuesday is November 29th this year. How many people have a monthly um, giving program for their organization? Oh, I went too fast though. How many people have monthly giving? i Wanna write in the chat and let me know? I'm just trying to go back here. There we go. Anybody? Oh! Kelvin does. Way to go, Kelvin. Oh, Sandra, of course, Sandra does from the Wild Bird Center. Donald does. Okay, fantastic. So we do have some people that know what they're doing. So that's fantastic when it comes to monthly giving. This is an option to say, um, to encourage people to sign up um, as well. So you can use this as an option um, for giving. You can uh, give this as an option for people to give a gift. So we know that those gift catalogs, you know, give somebody a goat. Obviously, it's not a real goat, Um, it's a a symbolic goat. Um, Those things do really, really well. So you can give a monthly option as well. Uh, to give a gift for 2023 for someone on your list. So you can say, oh, we know how much, you know, if you have somebody on your list that um, loves the environment or loves wild birds, for Sandra, for instance, um, you can indicate uh, that that would be a great gift you can give and give $10 a month and give now for all year round and let that person know in 2023 that you're gonna be giving a gift on behalf of them. So lots of different options for, uh, for, for monthly giving. And there are so many of my clients, I work with a lot of different clients, so many of them reached out to me because I've been doing this for a really long time, reached out when the pandemic started and they said they do not know what they would do without monthly giving when the pandemic started because it was just that sustainable revenue that would come in. So if you haven't investigated monthly giving, dip your toe in like in the next 53 days or whatever, and just try something in terms of monthly giving. Um, I had an organization that I helped go from 600 monthly donors to 3,500 monthly donors uh, with some strategy that we worked on. And that organization really, truly, that's the only thing that got them through um, the pandemic. So this is uh, something that can be really, really valuable for you. And all you have to do, well, there's a book by a good friend of mine by the name of Harry McKinnon. He wrote a book all about monthly giving. So you can Hunt down, uh, Maybe Owen can put that in the chat as well. His name is Harvey McKinnon. He wrote a gift uh, book on monthly giving. He wrote two. One's called Hidden Gold. I can't remember the name of the second oh. one now. Um, the second was, one is the newest one. So two, it's just a little easy read. And, um, it's definitely something that, uh, that would benefit your organization. Okay, so we're getting on to monthly giving. And then of course, number seven, ask your volunteers for a gift. And some people go, oh my heaven, Sam, but they give up their time. You would not believe how many do- how many volunteers just say like I was never asked, um, and you can word it in a way that we know you give greatly your time. If this holiday season you wanted to give a gift, you know, thank you so much for doing that. And if at this time, you know, you, you can word it in a way that um, you might get a complaint. I'm just warning you, um, but it is also uh, really good to remind everybody legacy giving, which is giving in your will. Uh, it is shocking how many people never, ever, ever tell the organization, but they'll have volunteered for you for 10 years, and then they pass okay. away, and they leave you like $100,000. It happens all the time. So your volunteers sometimes have capacity. They tend not to say anything about it. They tend to be a bit of a quieter bunch in terms of their philanthropy, uh, but you can ask your volunteers for a gift. Number eight is creating a way for donors to engage their colleagues. So we know right now there's a lot of bird, a lot of bird, I can't believe I said that. I'm thinking about you, Sandra. There's a lot of holiday parties. So this would be an example of you could adopt a bird for your organization or adopt something in your group, um, you know, within your mandate and ask people to raise money for that. So maybe it's, um, you know, it's a thousand dollars for care for something in in your organization and you ask colleagues you know people to to gather around do that as opposed to a holiday party or as opposed to giving gifts to each other they can create a way to do this so engaging your donors to say have you thought about sharing with your colleagues at work you know this is the kind of thing you do and then you would encourage them to do that this is very very lucrative um and This is something I implemented. It was always kind of done very kind of not strategically in a place that I worked and I worked there for nine years. My second or third year there, I started to be really strategic about this. And it's amazing now how much that program continues to raise uh, because we engaged our own donors and encouraged them to spread the word to their workplaces. And you would have people say, "We decide not to have a holiday party this year, and we're donating, you know, $100 on behalf of each staff." And all of a sudden, it's $1,500. So it can be really lucrative. And also making sure that corporations know that if somebody gives a gift and they've got that matching program at their work, that that's also really good for people. You can find some stories to tell. Find a story a week that you could tell. Even start, even start for Giving Tuesday, like three or four weeks there and tell a story about your organization to inspire. You can do this through obviously all your social media, you can email a little story um, to uh, to your people. This is really an opportunity to inspire and then you've got your appeals that come. So this is a soft ask. Always, 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 no matter what you're doing, whether it's your newsletter or something, even if it's subtle, you can have an opportunity there for people to give. Um, So telling a story a week. uh, It's something I'm doing with one of my clients right now. And um, we started it, well, Thanksgiving weekend in Canada. So we're doing one every single week. And it is just very, um, it's just a way to keep people engaged. And and we get to tell great stories about programs as well. Absolutely use social media. You're thinking, oh my gosh, Sam, of course we're going to use social media. But once again, definitely ask use those opportunities and you're getting gifts through Canada Helps however you're doing it um, you know you can use uh, social media if everybody's not uh, familiar with Canada Helps always feel free to throw that uh, as well in there about um, Canada Helps if you're not already set up with them it would be maybe wise to do so if you uh, are set up with them they've also got great resources a good friend of mine Jacob O'Connor is one of the, the big wigs there um, they're always hosting great webinars and stuff They've got some great ideas as well, of how to use social media, how to do monthly giving, um, but using social media. So, you know, this would be a great as well to find something you're raising money for. So, you know, whether it's a thing or a service or a program saying, you know, buy and put a date on it. So say, you know, by December 15th, we need to raise $2,500 to do X. Um, so that's always a great way to, to kind of do that as well a phone so i just did this on the i think it was the thursday or friday th- thursday before thanksgiving so we did a phonathon and we had all the team which was a little bit of a bigger team than some smaller organizations but we had i think there was about eight members all called uh between 25 and 40 donors that day um so once again this is something fundraising is a team sport You are not meant to do it alone so you can invite in um Uh, board members to participate, volunteers to participate, a little bit of training. This one takes a little bit of time. It may not be something you can pull together, but even find two or three donors to phone a day leading up to that day. I mean, if you could do that, you could potentially, you know, speak to 100 donors. Um, It could be your whole list, for instance, depending on the size of your organization. So uh, uh, phone-a-thon is always very popular. And once again, I've kind of mentioned this already, but create a challenge and set a goal. Um, So you can challenge people to raise money for, you know, maybe it's a new piece of equipment or, um, you know, something like that, It's a a, a small capital item, or maybe it's to fund, um, you know, a particular program, but find something and set a goal and then you can um, really inspire people to do that. And then what's great about doing that is that in January, you have a reason to touch base with them again, because you can tell them how they impacted through this particular thing. So this is where we come down to We heard the word a few minutes ago, segmenting that donor base and becoming, you know, really, um, strategic and tactile when it comes to, um, a, an initiative around it. So if you find something in your organization, you want to raise money for, you can become really, really smart about that. Um, And then the reporting back to donors is really key, which is the stewardship piece, which we'll talk about in a minute. Number 13, and I know this is going to seem really funny. You're like, oh my gosh, Sam, we're talking about fundraising and you're asking us to ask people for money. I'm doing this specifically because a lot of organizations become a bit shy about what they're doing and they don't ask enough. So, and I touched on this a little bit. So if you've never done an e-appeal and you have 100 emails, try an e-appeal. If you've never phoned donors before, try phoning donors. If you find donors in your database that have given to you three times over the last two or three years, ask them to become a monthly donor. And, you know, a lot of people sort of say, well, of course we're fundraising and, you know, but a lot of times we don't really kind of have a plan. And I talk a lot about, Kind of what we need to to create kind of a fundraising plan and obviously need that strategic um that strategic plan and you have a case for support and a fundraising plan and a strategic plan in terms of stewardship and you've got a comms plan but sometimes at the end of the day when you look at the calendar and you think i've got 53 days left you just ask as much as you can you may not have the greatest fundraising plan in the world you may you know, think, oh my gosh, we're, you know, I work crunch for time, we don't have a lot of time. Just ask, just ask for the money. It, you're not gonna be successful 100% of the time. And if you are, please call me to tell me your tricks because I've been doing this a really long time. The one thing I will tell you is if you don't ask, you will not get a gift. So find different ways to ask. When I worked in an organization for nine years, a very popular organization here in Ottawa, and we would get the odd complaint, maybe one a week. People saying, oh, you emailed to me too much or, you know, you use color photos or whatever they were calling to complain about that day. And it was my job. I don't know how I came up with this, but for whatever reason, it became my job to answer those complaints. And what I realized over time is people weren't just calling to complain because they didn't have anything better to do. They actually really believed in what we were doing. It's that they wanted us to use the money the most effective way. So what I realized is just having really honest conversations with them. So I used to say to people, you know, we wish we didn't have to mail as much, but the reality is if we don't mail and we don't appeal to people in different ways. People typically don't wake up in the morning and go, I know what I'm going to support, I'm going to support Tucker House, I know what I'm going to support, I'm going to support, you know, the bird sanctuary, I'm going to support wherever it is. So, when people sort of understood that they had to get some sort of, you know, prompt to give then they understood why we did what we did. So if you get complaints or anything like that, just be honest with people that, you know, you're trying to do the kind of work that it takes. And I used to say to people all the time that I would rather be on the phone with 100 donors a day talking about why we do what we do than in my case, I worked at a homeless shelter then turn around and look at the two hundred and forty men that were gonna stay at the shelter that night and tell them I didn't work hard enough that day to raise the kind of money we needed for all the extra programs, which was you know, high school, it was addictions programs, was all of that. So would I rather take some complaints from donors or look back and tell people Vulnerable people in our city that I couldn't do my job. So that's kind of how I always kind of looked at it is that, you know, a lot of people and a lot of boards, and I don't mean to be picking on boards because I love them, a lot of boards get very scared about, you know, making people upset. But if people really understood the competitive side of fundraising and how we have to inspire people, I think they would understand that, you know, if we don't ask enough, um, then we, we're definitely losing out on revenue. Because you have to remember, fundraising has to be about being joyful. I would never, never want a gift that wasn't joyful, for example. If somebody handed me $1,000 and begrudgingly said to me, Okay, Sam, here's a $1,000 to help the polar bears, and they were not happy about it, I wouldn't want their money. I would deny the money at the end of the day philanthropy is about joyful giving and if it's not we're doing something wrong because we want to inspire people to join us it's meant to be it's meant to be you know kindness a kindness transaction it's not meant to be you know it's meant to be a relationship it's not meant to be an oil change right so we want it to be joyful so if we're we're asking joyfully and we can receive joyfully that's what that's when we're doing it right so we also want to use a cut-and-down clock. This is lots of fun. Um, I've done it before where you can say we need to raise X amount of dollars before December 15th and you can have a low clock in terms of your social media or you can do it on your website. Lots of different ways to, do, to use those clocks. And chat about the whole knowledge about time, talent, and treasure with your board. So um, we always like to see 100% board giving. Not all organizations have that same philosophy. That's okay. But a lot of boards um, will like to sort of do a board gift. Everybody gives meaningful to them. So you might see one board member give $25. You might see another board member give $1,000. It isn't discussed at the board table. Everybody gives something meaningful for them. The bottom line is 100% board giving. So it's a great way to engage your board, especially this time of year. So in terms of uh, stewardship or shifting gears a little bit, so stewardship, for those that aren't familiar with that term, is really, you know, the thank you side in uh, fundraising. I always like to look at it, too, as the next step to the next gift, right? So just like your mother would or your grandmother would choose to maybe send you $25 or $5 in a card for your birthday, and your mom would say, did you thank your grandma yet? Uh, It's the same sort of philosophy, so we want to make sure we get those thank yous out there quickly and we want to make sure that we feel like we've thanked the donor a lot. The donor feels thanked. This can be um, very generic, uh, but we prefer it to be very personal. But that can take some time. Even a little handwritten note on the bottom of the receipt, a handwritten card, a thank you from from the board. Uh, or from yourself whatever that looks like so stewarding your donors is such a key key part so this is a great opportunity as we head to this end of the year to really kind of take stewardship let's call that the chocolate and take fundraising which is i don't let's say the peanut butter and we smush them together what happens when chocolate and peanut butter come together deliciousness happens So we know that that's the best, you know, to kind of combine the two. So do that for this next 57 days, is take the chocolate and the peanut butter, smush them together and do stewardship for the next 57 days while you're fundraising. You don't have to fundraise and then thank and then fundraise and then thank. When you smush them together, um, you uh, you get joy, pure joy because you can be thanking a donor for a gift and you know what sometimes happens? They give again. So you might thank a donor today for a gift that they gave that maybe you haven't thanked them for. Maybe you did the receipt and everything. But you could be thanking donors that gave in March or April and picking up the phone right now and saying, hey, I just wanted to say thank you very much. We're looking you know, forward to a very busy 2023, uh, but we just wanted to recognize some of those donors that have given to us in 2022. And I want to pick up the phone today and thank you. So this is a great opportunity to do that, is to uh, is to thank your donors. I'm going to take a soft pause because I want to introduce Chantel Hyde. She's the uh, sustainability capacity solutions, the executive director. She's going to spend a few minutes with you and then I'm going to come back and we're going to spend more time together talking about how you can fundraise and all the good stuff that I promised you. So I'm going to stop my sharing right now and we're going to let um, we're going to let uh, Chantel take the floor. Chantel, over to you. Thanks, Sam.
2: Thank you for everything you've uh, shared. I don't know if anyone else has taking notes, but I have. <laughs> this is amazing. But yes, thank you. I'm just going to let me know if you guys can see this. Um, hopefully you can see my presentation. Okay, perfect. All right, yes, yeah, so as Sam had said, I, my name is Chantel. I am the Eco Executive Director for Sustainable Capacity Solutions. And I'm just here to kind of chat with you guys or you know, present on what we do, because uh, we are the sponsor for the CBI series uh, this week. So, Stable Capacity Solutions, um, we are kind of the one stop shop for ca- um, capacity building needs for Canadian uh, environmental organizations. Um, We operate nationally at scale trying to build the internal operations of organizations so that, you know, you guys and the amazing work you guys are doing can achieve your mission and, you know, join us in in the fight against climate change. And so, you know, um, I kind of talked about our mission, but actively we've been working with over 120 organizations across Canada, Um, you know, supporting them, providing them. And kind of what makes us different is we provide practical hands-on experience. Um, you know, it's, it's not just kind of insight, you know, we'll work with you, you know, if you, depending on, on your capacity and your needs, we have the resources, the tools, um, and uh, kind of the expertise to help you get where you, you want to grow your organization. And so the way in which we do this is, the way I like to kind of Give a visual. Is Sustainable Capacity Solutions is kind of the mother organization, and is partnered with five social enterprises that focus on kind of the main um, the main themes for each organization to build their capacity. So there's CBI, which Hannah spoke about in the beginning. EcoInternships. They focus on HR and staffing. Obviously, we need staff to do projects. Green Books does bookkeeping to kind of, you know, relieve the stress of finances. Eco Executive Director does the administrative support and Sustainable Philanthropy uh, gives funding, uh, fundraising support. Um, and then we have our key founding partner, which is SEO, the Use Ontario, and our seed funder for uh, for SCS is the Sustainable Class Foundation. And so I'm just gonna s- kind of skip, like, you know, Skip through CBI, Uh, Hannah talked about them. You know, they do our main training for SCS. So when you um, are introduced to sustainable capacity solutions need training, whether it's for interns or or leaders, you know, CBI does this, as uh, as Hannah had said. Um, These are kind of our lead trainers. And then I'm just gonna fast forward to eco internships. As an organization um, that we haven't chatted about. Um, so it's kind of the idea that most nonprofits don't have stable funding to sustain for payroll for full-time staff. Um, so we actually promote working with interns. Um, you know, they're postgrads, they're looking to enter the environmental sector, they want to kind of expand their skill sets. Um, and you know, it's a great way to strengthen your organization. Capacity, right. Um, it improves organization,
3: uh, organizational
2: diversity, um, and like I said, it provides opportunities for you. Right. And you know we need them in the sector. Um, yeah. And so the way in which we do this is so. In total, we've supported sixty-one organizations and secured one hundred fifty-three internships. Um, you know, we have a quote here from Mitchell Beer from Energy Mix. You know. Chris was an excellent intern uh, to have hired him, and then he was actually able to continue full time with the organization, um, which has been an amazing opportunity for the nonprofit and the intern. Right, and then the way in which we do this, you know, we don't only promote it, but we actually help organizations find these staff. So we navigate the way the grants and we help apply for the wage subsidies. Um, so that's kind of one step. The next step is actually doing the hiring and the onboarding process. So find the candidates that are right to your organization. Um, and then every wage subsidy, you always have to do the funding reports, right? So we monitor these processes and support you in making sure that you meet those deadlines. Um, and then the last piece is we want to make sure that these interns are, you know, their placement is successful. And so we'll provide them mentorship, training, additional support for the interns. Um, as needed to make sure that, you know, um, they support your organization, and then they get the most out of the opportunity. Um, and then for the training piece, you know, all of the organizations are connected, so we uh, we utilize CBI for this. And then the next is Eco Executive Director. So it's this idea that, again, not all small shop environmental nonprofits can afford an executive. Right? like the full-time salary, it's, it's a lot um, to to kind of pull out of the budget. And so what we do is we actually have a shared executive director role uh, between three organizations, and you pay a part of that salary. Um, and then you get a certain amount of hours a week to help with this administrative part, Right, like financial management, fund development, uh, leadership, organizational culture, risk management, legal issues kind of the whole scope, any any administrative tasks, an EcoED would be there to support you, um, so that you you don't have to struggle to pay someone, right? Um, You you only have to pay a third of their salary. And so we actually, EcoED works with your team in a collaborative approach. Um, We'll meet with you, see where you are at, what your main focus needs to be, and. Make sure those projects are implemented, and they keep touching base with you to make sure that you know we're growing the organization the way you want to see. Um, we do it by interacting with the board, current staff you have, and then you know creating fundraising opportunities, um, and that kind of thing. And then Green Books, um, like I said, Green Books' our mission is you know to help you deliver on your mission without wasting time writing the books. Most nonprofits don't have the financial background or experience education, you know, to, to manage the books. Um, and we recognize that. And so we're here to support you with that and relieve that stress, the hours upon hours of trying to organize the books. Um, we're here to support you in that kind of relieve that stress as well as, you know, help, um, expand your knowledge on finances so that you can build some, some independence on your own. Um, and the way in which we do that is by providing a whole scope of services from payroll, tax filing, um, financial statements or your board meetings, uh, everything like that. So it's kind of a full scope up and until you move forward. And then this is the SES team. So this is everyone. We work uh, collaboratively, supporting each other, making sure that um, each organization that enters our networks uh, feels supportive and is getting the help that they need. And if you want to contact us to learn about any of our services, you know, you can re- you can email me at outreach solutions, or you can go to our website, fill out our form um, to get in contact with us. Uh, these are a couple of our partners. Um, yeah, if you guys have any questions, please feel free to reach out to me and I can connect you to each other uh, enterprise you may be wanting support with.
0: awesome thank you so much appreciate that very much we've got some great uh questions here and we also have some um opportunities to oh i'll just get you Chantel to pull that down and then i can pull the uh other one back up okay. thank you so much um we're going to go back here for a second okay so we've got some great questions thank you so much uh jessica and cass both asked some really good questions So I'm going to get through as much as I can here um, and uh, then we will have an opportunity to to get to that. As I mentioned uh, a couple times, inviting people to join you in uh, because fundraising, once again, is a team sport. So make sure you try to find two or three people that can help you uh, and, and ask them, you know, do you know anybody that would want to um, to join our group? Now, one of the reasons I wanted to bring this part up right now is the question that I received from Jessica. So the the question here is, I was wondering if our organization only has two donors, what would you suggest we do? So if you are, your goal is to raise more money and really engage with more donors that you need a little bit of a plan but the very first thing I would do Jessica the very first thing I would do is I would contact those donors and ask them why they give I don't know if these are big donors I don't know if they're small you know smaller number in terms of the the um, uh, the monies that they give but you know this would be a, a much bigger conversation but um, I would suggest you know starting, you know, in saying, okay, we've got two donors right now, we wanna get to 20 donors, how are we gonna do that? And engaging with the two donors that you have to find out what inspires them, look at your mantra, start with, um, you know, why somebody would give to you, a case for support, all those good things. But it's a much bigger question that I can answer right now, but there's some ideas to get you started. Cass Harris asked a really great question. How do we approach corporate partners in a way that makes them want to partner with us? Well. As we heard it a few minutes ago, cast we want it to be joyful. So find a company that makes sense for you. So for instance, if you're uh, an organization that is, you know, tied to the environment, then what you want to do is you want to find some organization that believes in the environment. So you want to find places that Just suggest if you're a smaller group, you try to find a small business. I know that sounds kind of funny. Um, but sometimes working through big corporations, like if you are an organization and you're like two staff and you know, maybe you know, you've you got hundred donors, it's gonna be really hard for you to get a donation from the TD Bank. But it may be really easy for you to partner with the accounting firm down the street. So try to find places that already have a connection to you and, um, and start that way. One organization that I worked with, they decided to partner with um, a local real estate uh, organization. It's amazing how much that raised. It raised them like $25,000 a year. And what it was is they gave them they gave them a little bit off of every sale of a house that year. So all sorts of different ways to um, to creatively do it. Uh, but just start somewhere, start with an organization. This is a great place too to ask your board who they want to partner. Uh, one of their companies might be interested or they might know of somebody. Once again, it's a team sport. You can't do it by yourself, okay? So I want to invite uh, and encourage you to invite people in to to do it. We want to think about 2023 already. I know it's hard to believe. I booked my first speaking gig for 2023 the other day and I just fell off my chair. Uh, It's coming so fast. So I want you to, to grab a piece of paper beside you and I want you to very quickly, because we only have a few minutes, I want to very quickly think about why you want to raise more money in 2023. Why do you want to do it? It might be really obvious for some people. My people, well, I'm in a capital campaign. I need to raise more money. So really quickly, just whatever first comes to your head, why we want to raise money. Well, we want to raise more money because we want to do more programs. We want to raise more money because we want to, um, uh, to save more cats. We want to raise more money because we want to plant more trees, whatever it is. okay. So what's your why? Really quickly, okay? Who, Who do you want to bring to the table? So Cass was just saying, you know what? I'd like a corporate partner. So you can write down just what comes right off your mind. I want three corporate partners. I want to get a hundred more donors or maybe like Jessica. I want five more donors, whatever it is. Who do you want to bring to the table and slash? Who do you want to help you? So I want to engage two board members. I want to start a fundraising committee, whoever that is. So who, who do I want to bring to the table? What? What do I actually want to raise the money for? Um, what do I want to, you know, uh, do something, uh, you know, for instance, uh, you know, for a homeless shelter, for instance, I want to feed a hundred more people. So what do you want to do? And, and, and not only what do you want to raise money for, but what strategies are you going to use So really quickly? Just, you know, how do you want to do that? Basically, what, what do you want to accomplish there? Where do you want to do it? Now, it might be, you know, you might think to yourself, well, I, you know, we're here in Ottawa and I want to, you know, be at um, you know, I want to go to a market and, and uh, try and engage new donors at a market. I want to do an event. I want to, um, you know, we only raise money really in the community of Barhaven. I really want to spread to Cunado. Whatever that is, where do you want to do it? Where do you want to do it uh, for 2023? So just really quickly off the top of your head, <clears throat> when do I want to do this? You might say to yourself, okay, and this always shocks people. Whenever I say this to my clients, they have a heart attack. When you look at the calendar of 2023, you think, well, there's 365 days. I, I don't know how to break it to you. There's probably about 240 days in there that are actually good fundraising days. You take out the summer months, you take out the holidays. Now you're down to that time. Then you take out the weekends, and now you're down to probably about 200 days. Okay, so it goes by really, really quickly. So when do you want to do some of these strategies? So if you take a couple of ideas, you know, you don't have to finish all this right now, but just get an idea. I really want to do something in spring and I really want to do an initiative in the fall and I want to do something for end of year. So take an idea of what you want to do there and how do you want to do it? How do you want to do it digitally? Are you looking at doing old fashioned direct mail, which by the way, raises a lot of money. You want to implement a monthly giving program for the first time? How do you want to do it? So you can do all of that, you know, just really, really simply. And I know it's going to sound funny, but that little exercise, I do it every year with my clients. I do it a little bit more um, uh, more time than we have today, um, but it can be really effective just to kind of very quickly high level. What do we want to accomplish? And then what you're going to do is take that 2023 put it up on a wall, put it on your, you know, sticky note or whatever it is, and think about the next 57 days, how to set yourself up for success for those six items that we just talked about. The five W's and the H. What can I do in the next 57 days that are going to help this plan? And that can be all of things. You want to test monthly giving. You want to ask your board to give a gift, whatever it is those three or four things we've hoped that you've written down today, combine it with this and it'll help you guide you for the next 57 days. Once again, don't try to take on too much. I want to leave you with this. This is, and I'll tell you because I have, once again, I told you right off the top, I've made every mistake in the book. I have not taken care of myself because I'm working too hard, right? And a lot of us do that and sometimes become, become burnt out and we're not good, good for our families. So celebrate the wins. So if, you know, and you got to define those wins, which we're gonna talk about in a second, defining success. But celebrate those gifts because we know the competition of fundraising. We know how challenging it is to get our message out. So when you do have something, just, just bathe in it for a minute. Like really, really understand how, how important it is you had that win <clears throat> and i'm not, not to pick on poor sandra because it just happens to see her name, her name a few times but i know sandra you know we worked together on something a couple of years ago there was a huge win out of that and it had nothing to do with me it had everything to do with sandra and it was just one of those things where you just think like you know, you're doing good things And of course, your job is to raise money if you're the fundraiser or the executive director, you know, to to bring in revenue. But I find sometimes we're just so quick to jump on the next thing we need to do. So just make sure you do that. Be kind to yourself throughout this. You know, definitely be kind to yourself because it can be really, really lonely being a fundraiser. And I'll tell you because I know because I have one. Define success for yourself. So a lot of the times they're like, okay, you need to raise $10,000, $100,000, a million dollars, whatever it is. But you also have to use other metrics to define success. So you might have written ten grants to get one successful one. So you have to know and share with your board what it took you to get that one. And then you go back and circle back and you head up to the celebrate the wins again. You might um, have asked you know thirty partners, three to cor- thirty corporations to become a corporate partner and you get one. So you know celebrate and define that success for yourself in fundraising. It isn't all about the money. And I know board's always kind of go, of course it's about the money. It is, but also you have to understand how important it is for you to have other ways to define the success of fundraising. It's the amount of people that you connect with. It's the amount of stewardship you do. It's all of these pieces. It's not just about the money. I love spending time every single month with this group. And I'm hoping you got something out of today um, feel free to reach out to me. These are all my deeps. Um, definitely, you know, feel free to share uh, any successes that you might have, any questions you might have. Um, you know, I know we're, we're really tight on time. It's, I'm already keeping you a minute after, but I want to thank you so much for spending time with us today. Um, and it's always a pleasure. Uh, Hannah always takes good care of us. Appreciate all the help Owen gave us tonight too. And, um,
2: Sightseeing Division, and we operate the Line Hop-on Hop-off in Victoria, uh, as
1: well as a Buttar Gardens tour uh, from downtown Victoria.
0: Um, We are a green business certified and surf rider group. We've worked uh, with Synergy for several years on um, finding ways to
1: reduce our emissions. Uh, We've done a few trials uh, with electric buses
4: on a few different um, routes of ours. And yeah, just uh, excited
5: to be part of the conversation to see uh, what uh, what else we can do to uh, take part in the solution. Um and also on the call is uh John Wilson. Maybe they just maybe. They're, maybe. Is he still on here? Yeah, yeah, there so
1: he is. Awesome. <laughs> so uh he's our CEO and I will uh, I only have like six people on my screen at a time, so <laughs> uh but I will throw it to him and just uh further introduce to our company.
6: Thanks, Samantha. Hi, everybody. John Wilson, President CEO of the Wilson's Group. I'm also fortunate enough to be the Chair of the Chamber here in Greater Victoria. Uh, as Samantha said, our head office is in Greater Victoria. We do have locations up and down the island and on the mainland as well. Um, Kale, Kale, it's great to see that uh, uh, the opening presentation with the bus being right down there at the bottom. Love to see that. Thank you very much. We try to uh, uh, preach that to as many people as we can. So thanks very much for that. And uh, yeah, we we were fortunate enough to uh, to uh, interview with Jill last week on on some of this uh, stuff. So we're very excited to uh, be part of this. And uh, we continue to work hard. Uh, we're looking uh, working with Lion Electric right now, a Canadian company out of Quebec, to bring in some uh, electric school buses into our Nanaimo location for our uh, our contract up there. And uh, yeah, we're excited to continue down that uh, line. We uh, we all as as we mentioned to Jill, and we've said many times, it's the infrastructure uh, that continues to be a, um, a setback. Uh, our location in the um requires more amperage from BC Hydro. Of course, they're willing to do it, but there's costs involved in that. That seems to be where the funding. Is, uh, there's a hole in the funding for us so but we're, we continue to work along those lines and I think I will pass it along to a fellow bus person here Dave Roberts Dave are you there?
7: I am here uh, thanks very much John sorry I'm driving at the moment so I'm just trying to do this all hands-free um, but yeah, so I run I'm the general manager for Pacific Northwest transportation we provide bus transportation and coaches and double-deckers to the cruise ship industry here in Victoria. Uh, We also have worked uh, on piloting a number of, well, the first electric double-decker bus in North America. We're working on piloting some conversion projects for hydrogen fuel cells. So very much in the space, we are um, going through our B Corp certification, hoping to have that wrapped up by the end of the year. Also part of the Vancouver Island Green Business Certification Program, and a number of other different things. Um, I think our biggest uh issue and and like john i gotta say thank you for that slide that i copied it immediately um one of the biggest issues we have is really stranded assets in terms of you know investing in a fleet and then having to try and decarbonize by putting more money into a fleet after you just put the first load of money into the fleet so all sorts of interesting challenges but uh, also looking for interesting solutions i can't pass it over to anybody because i can't see anyone while i'm driving so i'm going to ask Kaylee to pick someone for me Uh awesome
5: Thanks, David. Um, We'll
6: pass it over to Brendan. Uh, I'm Brendan McCullough of McCullough Coach Lines in Victoria. We're a charter bus operator. uh, And that's all we do. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, Xander, over to
5: you.
8: Hi, I'm uh, Xander France. I'm the director of marketing and partnerships for the Vancouver Island Ferry Company. Uh, we are the brand new ferry company, passenger only, modern uh, ferry company that will be launching next year, uh, summer of 2023. We're based in beautiful Nanaimo, and you can expect the big announcement uh, in the news this Thursday. All right. <coughs> And I guess I actually should share one other thing. Uh, Our organization was, um, uh, we were at the Interferry Conference in Seattle just uh, a few weeks back. And 90% of the conversation uh, at the conference, which I thought was quite interesting, uh, is on the electrification of docks and the conversion of ferries over to battery power. Uh, It's a really fascinating conversation, but I would say 90 plus percent of the conversations we were having with FRS and DOM and all these different groups uh, is all about battery power electrification. So uh, a big uh, trend shift very
5: exclusive. That's really cool to hear. Um, there's actually a, a, a report that Synergy did that I think might be worth sharing around as well. And I'll um, just mention it so that Katie can make that note. But we did a, a report on the electrification of tourism, transportation, and it, it did look at um, ground and marine. And it ended up expanding a bit to look at some of the challenges um, or and opportunities with hydrogen as well. So we can share that around. It's a couple years old now, but I think it's still quite relevant. Um, And, Sarah,
3: over to you. Oh, God. Uh, Are you talking to me? Am I the only Sarah? Often, uh, there are other Sarahs. So, uh, people call me Fowler. (laughs) Because there's always a lot of Sarahs. So, my name is Sarah Fowler. I'm with the village of Tassis, So, that's really off the beaten track from Victoria. We have been uh, participating in a regional transportation study to get sort of a seniors bus. There's been a lot of um, uh, studying about other options, like how they have Gertie, the Gabriola bus, or in Sayward, they have the you know, Sayward bus, or other sorts of community um, transportation uh, that is like co- co-production kind of with other partners and uh, we don't have one of those. But we are very uh, remote, and so we've had to also look globally at some... Examples in, like, Iceland and even in the uh, Maritime Provinces about what they do for, like, large areas, mountain terrain, that kind of thing. And so the best thing that I have going forward is this dream of Muffin Monday bus where we can go and get our supplies in town or go to the bank or go to the hospital or whatever. uh, But also have that kind of um, charter service where there's, um, you can get it if you have a specific appointment but also if you uh just have a a need to go into town or to come home from the hospital because that's one thing that we have been seeing locally in our small community is people can get an ambulance out of town but then coming back transportation can be a challenge thanks thanks for sharing that sarah and
5: um yeah i think that's a really um clear indication to me of where you know some of the benefits of of focusing on on services and benefits for for tourism can actually benefit the residents of communities as well. And if we look at areas where there are needs and opportunities for partnerships, there can often be some really um, successful solutions put in place that benefit both the visitors and, and the residents.
3: From Um, the, I'll just sort of, sorry, Uh, there is, has been, like, I'm the secretary for the Unity for Community Society, which is a tourism and economic development uh, driven thing. For the last 20 years, we've been trying to connect uh, the road route with our closest town of Zabalas over the mountain. And I do get a lot of international interest in doing some kind of, like, multi-modal trail, you know, like, kind of um, off-road stuff so the, that's the majority of um, people who reach out to me asking me if the the road is connected yet um, but uh, I unfortunately have to tell them that they can go by water taxi around the North Island 1000 route but we are have been working on connecting those routes for a long time thanks yeah I
5: feel like my partner might have been one of those people who called me up he goes on these big <laughs> like logging road bike trips so (laughs) who knows um i think the only other person that we haven't heard from is is kira kira did you want to just say a quick hello hi everyone i'm kira uh
1: with 4BI just here to moderate a little bit and um nice to hear some of your initiatives from some big hitters on the island so thanks for the hard work that you guys are doing
5: right thanks okay so let's get to the the meat of our discussion today so um for for this discussion you can Uh, jump in, you can put up your hand. you can drop some notes in the the chat. Um, But our first question that we want to hear from you on is just what are some of the the barriers you are facing as a transportation organization in tourism related to, to climate action?
9: I guess I'll mention something here. Um, and Don might be able to help me out on this one, just with the sustainable aviation fuels. Um, the airline industry gets hit bad, but I think there is an opportunity for some, um, storytelling here. There's a lot of developments that are happening under sustainable aviation fuel. And I think with the, um, going forward, it might be worthwhile to be able to support, um, the various different airlines with their initiatives to bring that communication, that narrative to the public. Um, Whenever I talk to in, they have no idea that the airlines are even trying to do anything. And they are aggressively going after the SAS um, and alternative fuels, and it might be something that we're able to help with, um, with that.
5: Yeah, the communication around the initiatives and and awareness that there are efforts being Made and around some of the challenges that it's not just that the organizations aren't willing um but that um there's just a lack of availability of some of these technologies for adoption exactly thank you
10: i guess there's you know sorry, sorry to just jump right in. there's mm-hmm. also another consideration of that is that, you know um, there's a lot of talk about the the, the future and, you know uh, I guess as we move away from fossil fuels to SAF, uh, and then from SAV to hydrogen, and, and there's this roadway, if you want, this pathway that I think is very um, undefined. It, it doesn't really, you know, there are certainly people who, um, who don't think that that's going to happen. Um, and uh, you know, another, I guess, you know, that's that's looking 30 years into the future. But if we come back even to today, uh, the the uh uh, issues i guess uh that that are concerning is just the sheer amount of electricity required i mean if everybody goes electric uh do we have enough to be able to to handle it Mm yeah no that's that's
5: definitely a big concern and and we're definitely going to need to see you know multiple solutions pulled into to different areas to allow us to be successful in this because yeah if we all went electric there would be a huge number of issues with that but uh yeah it's not always clear which path the organization needs to take um david you look like you were getting your mic off ready to add in something to this piece you're still on the hill
7: there we go having a little technical difficulty while i get set up again um no i was just agreeing because i mean you know one of the things i think we we focus on is we use the word electric as opposed to zero emissions quite often and we a lot of focus goes towards electric as opposed to looking at what is the best solution for a specific industry is it can be very different for my industry than it might be for someone who's driving a car or someone who's got a light duty van Um, and so i think it's just important that we keep in mind there are Everything's got to work together. And, and you're right, there isn't enough electricity. If everyone went electric today, uh, we would need basically two more sightsee dams in order to produce the recommended amount of electricity in order to uh, meet all of our demands. So there, there's there got to be a coming together of the different ways as a holistic solution to this. I agree, David. you just wanted to add to that. I see a bus behind you. And, uh, you know, and I
10: think of uh, just in the last two months, I think the Naval has had um, two power outages uh, that lasted, you know, for hours. And overnight, I I would imagine the last one that we had in the was, you know, uh, probably six, eight hours long. And that means if your buses were plugged in overnight, there was no power, you'd literally have no service the next day.
5: Yeah. Yeah. Um, the Wilson's team, I think that one of you mentioned earlier just some issues around infrastructure. Would either of you like to expand on, on that or add any other comments to the, the barriers for climate action?
6: Yeah, I'll do it. Sam, Samantha's uh, battling a cold today, so she's, her voice isn't uh, up to snuff. The um, And I mentioned, we mentioned this to Jill as well, but the, so we have locations in Campbell River and Nanaimo, uh, Campbell River with an industrial uh, contract in Nanaimo, with charter busing and school busing. Um, at both sites, uh, we own the property and we're looking for <coughs> uh, electrical, electric uh, upgrades uh, to be able to to charge the, the equipment needed. And again, as I mentioned uh, earlier around Nanaimo, there's, uh, I'm still waiting to get a, a, a quote from DC Hydro for Nanaimo, but Campbell River was upwards of a quarter of a million dollars for upgrades BCIger is willing to do it, but no one's willing to pay for it except me, so to speak. So that, that, that those are uh, some of the, um, the uh, seems to fall through loopholes with uh, federal and provincial funding from government officials, from what I've seen, anyways to date. The, the other thing I wanted to mention was um, training around technicians, uh, technicians to work on these vehicles, whether it's electric or um, uh, or, or hydrogen or whatever whatever it may be uh, we need to start supporting or the governments need to start supporting the post-secondary institutions, the BCITs, the com most colleges uh, to make sure we're getting the, uh, the the trades out of there with the, with the need with the ability to work on these vehicles. again, the uh, piece uh, that seemed to be missing uh, in the infrastructure, if you will, piece of it. Uh, to give you an example, we had a, uh, a loaner bus from BYD, I don't know, I want to say two years ago, um, uh, operating on the Camosun shuttle, and um, it was an electric uh, uh, mid-sized bus, and uh, it had some electrical issues, and it was down for six to eight weeks because they had to fly in a technician from California to work on it, so as you can imagine, that's not a, a, uh, something that can happen. That, in uh in a in a bus companies uh, uh to have buses off the road for that amount of time so those are two areas that i see as uh, uh goals that the government needs to start thinking about talking about and funding
5: yeah yeah the the availability of people to fix the, the vehicles is definitely one that's we've come up against before and then I think David had some issues with one of his buses and replacing mirrors because the parts just weren't available either so yeah, definitely important to be able to keep those buses on the roads when you have them. Alright we're going to move on to the next question um, so what specific actions can transportation organizations and tourism take to decarbonize and while we're thinking about this we really want to see you know think about opportunities where we can work together because I think there are the obvious ones that we, we know about here in terms of you know switching to um, electric or, or hydrogen or other sustainable fuel options so doing some fuel switching for our energy sources um, but yeah are there any other opportunities that um, you see within the, the transportation network um, where there may be opportunities for, for collaboration
10: I think as an industry, if we uh, can um, collaborate on what a, on a unified strategy, then the uh, the opportunity would be to, uh, as a as a as a cohesive group, chase collectively public funding to improve infrastructure projects that support transportation.
7: Sorry, Kaylee, if I could, I think it's kind of, there's a couple of things here that I'd like to unpack. And one is definitely chasing the funding is one aspect of it. You look at the funding that goes to say a public, uh, like BC transit in order to buy new electric buses. That kind of funding doesn't exist for the private sector. And that's part of the biggest issue that we face is trying to access some funding because those buses are quite a bit more expensive than a typical diesel bus. so that's the biggest and then you've got the other side of it which is what happens to those buses or that equipment whether it be planes or anything else once it's over so if we sell it to someone else we've moved that problem just to another part of the world we haven't really solved the issue except for us locally but as we're a global issue what is the solution to get rid of that equipment And, and i think you know one of these things is the government having to come in and say listen if you retire that bus don't sell it but you retire it and get rid of it and buy a new bus there's these credits or the this way to finance it or something along those lines because otherwise all we're really doing is just moving the problem to somebody else
5: that's a really good point thanks david because yeah that that's one of the things that we look at with um carbon funds and that kind of thing is are you just um transferring those emissions elsewhere are they causing leakage is what the the official term it's called, but are they leaking into other spaces once you've, you know, gotten them out of your space? So, um, thank you for that point.
3: I would say that that uh, also sort of bleeds into sort of the public side that does have the the funding, where one of the ways that we. Deactivate or increase in our infrastructure is to buy a a new fire truck, for instance, that is more efficient. But then, what do we do with the old one? We give it to someone who is uh, more, you know, they have less um, insurance like outline around how old their fire truck has to be. Erin here
4: from Comox Airport. Um, one of the challenges I believe uh, that I see in, in our industry, possibly on the island but elsewhere, um, is that we, we do tend to operate sort of in our own silos and that um, you know you know we'll be going headstrong against decarbonizing and such but um, you know that, that then it, 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 it breaks down at the curb for example and that you know we might have a couple electrical charges put in and such but you know the, the the connectivity from uh let's say bc from ferries to Comox to from Comox to the airport itself so again because we're crossing so many boundaries mm-hmm. and some mechanism to help um uh, encourage those collaborations um when we look at the air, airport infrastructure on the island we have uh, a, a couple uh, highly functioning airports and then we have smaller ones that are also looking to, to for funding and uh um, in, in some cases, these airports are, are, are a vital part of their economic um, picture in the regions, but the, the utility of them relative to the number of actual passengers they're moving may need to be investigated, and that um, it's wonderful providing a multiple um, airstrips, but when you've got them 35 minutes, 40 minutes apart, um, and them investing in infrastructure, the, the major airports investing in infrastructure, um, the relative utility of, of, of air infrastructure in general I think needs to be looked at. Um so it's again a little beyond the, the scope of, of where tourism can step in, but I just sort of see that those conversations are necessary. And
5: then um and Erin having- be- before you jump off that that because I think there's some really interesting things to unpack there. Do you know of anyone that is like in a in a good position to be facilitating that that conversation, or somebody that we could bring into this discussion that might, um, you know, be be in a position to do something with that knowledge from a climate action. Program. Well, but
4: Bahia, um, is is already uh, working in quite. They, they, they've splintered, and George is setting up a new new uh, venture. To sort of do an analysis of, of transportation and other other um, economic drivers on the island. So I think that they're they're good. And then of course Pacifica, um with transportation being a federal, um, you know, that, that having them at the table to, to ensure that these conversations and the, the, the direction for funding are, are being held by the federal agencies that might have some uh, capacity to, to change what, what's needed. And then having having all the players at the table, I found out about this through my marketing company, so I don't know um, how it was distributed. We're grateful to be here, but uh, none of my operations are people that are actually heading up. The green initiatives here were available because we, we just didn't know about this. And uh, so I, I hopefully that the will, will be included if the reach will go out. And my, my lights again. And then, you know, there's rail. Uh, groups on the island, I don't know how viable they'd be, but to have them at the table, and and potentially operators, too. Um, You know, we've got the buses, we've got some ferries, but, you know, there's individual operators that are, are, you know, using diesel-heavy equipment, and uh, so with, again, broader input, um, again, will help connect some of the dots between the communities.
5: Yeah, Awesome, and I think that's one of the the things that's sort of happening in this first round of of engagement is also just figuring out who are the right people to to have at the table and building out that network so i appreciate that feedback and it's something that i think we can definitely work on and maybe even just try to connect with a few other you know whether they're industry associations or or what have you to make sure that we're we're getting the word out to the right people to have these conversations because yeah it's a tricky one with um with tourism because we do want everyone sort of Connected to the tourism industry involved, but they're not always on those those lists within the tourism industry. So thank you for that feedback
3: Yeah,
4: and like
5: like Harbor air for example,
4: they're, I mean they're they're working on electrification Faster than anybody in the world. I believe mm-hmm. so and we've, we've got good, good players that, that I think could, could help contribute to this conversation Yeah, yeah
9: I'll, I'll speak to that. So uh, John probably would have been here from Harbor air But he decided that he was going to be in Hawaii instead. So actually not in the country right now. Otherwise, Harbour Air generally is a big a big contributor to these to these events.
5: Yeah, and we will be having a survey going out afterwards as well, so the more contacts we can get to make sure that that gets out to the right people um, is good. And I think, um, I don't want to overpromise here, but I think the intention is that there will be continued dialogue um, beyond these conversations as well as we work to develop the, the Climate Action Plan and strategies for implementation in the coming uh, months. Um, I think we're, if you do have any more feedback or ideas for this question, again, please feel free to drop them in the, um, chat and then we will move on. So I just saw Katie's note that we can have one more. So if anyone had one more on this, we can do that, but otherwise we will move on. I think we're good to move on. Okay. Uh, so the third question is, what do you see as 4VI's greatest opportunity? To enable climate action um, in tourism on on Vancouver Island.
7: What's the opportunity? I think uh, one of the biggest things that Four VI can do is 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 really what we're doing right now: bringing the players to the table um, and getting consensus around. You know. But including in that, say, like a BC Hydro or BC Hydrogen Association, because they're the ones who set up the infrastructure that we're going to need if we're going to go out and get the, the vehicles or whatever it is to decarbonize. So I think it's, it's a more holistic approach where we take the, user, the end user and marry them up also with the producers and the infrastructure. I like that, get BC
5: Hydro involved. To
11: continue on that thread, sort of what I was thinking, especially, you know, we find on the West Coast being a lot of the smaller players in a lot of these conversations, is the tips and tricks and those tools being shared to some of the smaller operators and, and smaller players in these conversations um, because they don't have the tools and resources to be able to um, either participate in something like this, um, they don't have the people, or um, or the information. And, and I know that um, 4VI was you know, a big player in that through COVID, was pulling all of those pieces together to really support some of the smaller operators and businesses, and so whether it's in the transportation conversation, accommodation, all of the activity providers um, throughout the and um, you know what what are those the, the what's the toolbox um, and and to the point of bringing some of those partners together you know bringing them together so those small operators aren't having to figure it out on their own and uh, they just won't be able to spend that that time and effort to do that
5: great thank you Samantha um, if you've got any ideas on specific tools or resources or, or best practices that you think you um, you're you um or you know your community members being the chair of, of tourism tofino um would want or need would you mind dropping them in the chat or sending them um to to kyla because uh, i think that that is an opportunity that um we can we can work on and um, just knowing which ones are a priority for um the organizations would definitely help well and even just like listening to what has
11: come up so far and you know hearing from each of the the transportation businesses on this zoom call those are some of the things you know the the things that they're doing to be proactive and and already down this path um you know those are the those are the things that need to be in that toolbox here's what businesses are doing here's where they've been successful um so that the smaller operators even know what the options are because i think that's but usually what is missing is they just don't know where to start um, and and so being able to say okay here's the here's a path here's a here's the low-hanging fruit for this sector and and then being able to share with each of the sectors you know here's what you should be looking at on your day-to-day basis um, or here's a partner that you should be connecting with to help you um, with your your climate action
3: plan or,
5: Uh, Sarah you pulled your video up were you wanting
3: to say something as well? Just along the lines of uh, the person who was talking about the silos like the opportunity that we have in Vancouver Island is that this is an island and we can integrate the systems where one jurisdiction ends and the other one picks off so uh, there's like being involved in the climate leaders group for Vancouver Island uh, for the few the last few years the fact that there are you know rail corridors that, you know, exist already, at least in right of way. That's, that is already sort of the foundation. And, uh, it used to be industrial for coal and it can be, you know, um, I guess, uh, reinvested in is a way to put it, but I think that, um, if we can, like, find a way to work with our neighbors here on Vancouver Island and, like, what Harbor Air is doing, we can be the leaders that are the best practice that can be like, oh, if this worked for us, then it can work for you.
5: Yeah, I think that's a really interesting way of looking at some of our challenges. as also some of our strengths is we've got like, we've got all these different communities on Vancouver Island, but we are, we do have this very clear geographic boundary mm-hmm. for which we can, you know, really focus our, our energies. Uh, he, yeah, I'm going to
9: say... It's sort of celebrating our successes. Everyone likes to try and fix a problem, but never really celebrate the successes. You know, almost doing, going down the marketing side of it. Um, you know, having, having the champions and, and show lighting like, you know, a, not to throw or to, uh, to, speak, or to speak highly of uh, Long Beach Lodge. I mean, they do an amazing job at their, their things. They've gone completely to electric golf carts for their cleaning crews. They have a really good sustainability plan. I know Oak Bay, um, uh, what is it, the Oak Bay Beach House uh, has a really good sustainability plan. So there's a lot of things that are out there that people are already doing. Um, And being on the island and and even the south, you know, southwest uh, BC, you know, we're probably doing it more than just about any other place in the world other than a couple of places in Europe. And we should be sort of celebrating the fact that we're doing that and trying to get more people on board. And is there a way to to market that, to to basically say, look at us, we're already doing all of this. Yes, there's still a long way to go, but we're already industry leaders as a group um, going down this this pathway. And and again, celebrating the people that, that are doing a good job just to bring that awareness out to not just people in the industry, but just to the public as a whole.
5: Yeah, increasing that awareness and that inspiration, hopefully. Um, I'm going to pick on a couple people because we haven't heard from them in a while. Brendan and and Xander, how are you guys doing? Did you have any thoughts on how 4VI can contribute to climate action in tourism on Vancouver Island?
10: We're uh, certainly very early stages
8: in our business. So, um, you know, ESG and the environmental stewardship is, is key as we, um,
10: have long partnerships already established with, uh, the Nanamo Port Authority and the Sunamu First Nation. So,
8: um, this is going to be forefront of, of what we do. Um, obviously we're learning about the 4BI, um, organization, thanks to Callum and and the team for inviting us. Um, Ultimately, uh, I can agree with uh, Mr. Roberts in saying that um, we're here to obviously meet all the stakeholders uh, here on the island and and learn about the initiatives and and bringing everybody together uh, is going to be key for, uh, I think, all of our success. But um, I think that's that's it for me. And I think the only other thing I wanted to share, uh, one other little small announcement that uh, I found out recently, um, the FRS Clipper is... Um, working with uh, a new organization to create a hydrofoil skipper plane um, which is some news that I'm not sure if everyone uh, saw recently came out of the Interferi conference but it's a a very interesting um, uh, advancement that essentially is a a plane that can uh, have zero resistance once actually in the air uh, and it's a a hydrofoil system in the Victoria area so I thought it was something worth sharing and a a very cool kind of environmental advancement. Yeah
5: that is very cool. Katie will have to share that with the team as well. Uh,
6: Brendan and then David. Uh, I, I would just say I'm interested in hearing what what uh,
10: people have planned. Um, as far as four vi, I think just event uh, meetings like this are are most helpful. Great,
5: thank you, David. And then we'll, I'm going to pull up our next question as well, so people can start thinking about it. We've got to wrap up soon.
7: Yeah, the only thing I was going to add to that, I think we don't want to lose sight of everything we've done because I think everyone around this table has done a lot to further you know to move the needle in terms of climate action and we'd sometimes get focused on what needs to be done as opposed to how much we've already done and how much we've moved the needle and i think nothing breeds success like celebrating the success that you've had and i think if we had more of that where more uh, marketing materials were coming out stating, you know how far we've come people will want to move that much further fast
5: Okay, thank you. So that kind of feeds well into this last question. And again, I'm going to encourage you to use the chat because we, we do need a few minutes to just wrap up before we um, send you off all, all to your lunch breaks. Um, but what initiatives are already happening, you know, to, to David and, and Keith's point about celebrating um, and building, um, but what things are already happening that 4 could could support?
10: I think
9: I'm going to go back and just that awareness up to the public. Um, you know, when I when I went to Impact last year, I was just so impressed with the with just the dialogue and and the initiatives that people were doing. Um, going to the BC Tourism Hospitality Conference, same thing. You know, based on the sustainability. Um, again, it's the celebrating the good things that are people that people are doing make make true leadership. Um, for people that do want to follow, that just don't really know um, how to do it, that uh, is there a way to have have sort of mentors or something like that.
5: Great. Any other thoughts or any other thoughts on who else 4VI should be engaging with as we do this climate action work? Yes, we've got NUTCOM on the list um, and we've been working with them, so we'll make sure that they um, get involved for sure. Um, And yeah, please feel free to continue adding thoughts to the chat or if you think of things in a day or two, um, email Kyla. Uh, We want to keep these um, discussions going. Um, So in terms of of next steps, I think I'm going to pass this back to Kyla to to take us home.
12: Great, yeah, so next week we'll be putting out an online stakeholder survey. uh, it will be similar questions to the one you received today, but if there's anyone in your industry that you feel would benefit or community from filling it out, please pass it along. Um, we are also, as we mentioned, doing a carbon or a GHG emissions audit of Vancouver Island as a destination. As far as we are aware, this we are the first destination to do this in North America, so really exciting. And our climate action plan means that it will be evidence based off of those findings. Um, This, as I mentioned previously, the Climate Action Plan should be coming out around the end of January, and it will be a um, uh, amalgamation of a series of different data and feedback that we have. Um, Moving forward, if you do have any other questions or comments about what we discussed today, please feel free to email me, Um, or just in general, if you want to uh, get a better understanding of what we're currently working on as well, I will be following up with everyone. I know you were loving some of those statistics and slides today, so I can send those around for anyone that's interested as well. Awesome, okay. Well, I'm going to leave it there then. Um, Thank you so again for everyone that has joined us today. It was really wonderful to meet you all and hear about the exciting efforts that are already underway. So thank you and have a great afternoon.